Though we look at many parts of the passages we read together, the focus then is the, on verses 38 and 39 of chapter 2. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the name of our church, Emmanuel, means God with us. And this name connects us to God's work in the world because God's dwelling with his people on the earth is a major theme in all of the scriptures, right from the very beginning to the very end. We were made to live in fellowship with the Lord, our maker, and to do all the down-to-earth things that we do, like living in families and working and worship while showing love to God and to our neighbor. God has always dwelt with his people. He's, done it, he's dwelt with his people in different ways, since the beginning of creation, but he never left his people on the earth alone or forsaken. Well, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and he confirmed that God would continue to be with his church after he had ascended into heaven and before he would return. And we are living in these last days between Christ's ascension and his return. And as we wait for our Lord Jesus to return, to come like a thief in the night, we thank God for the gospel of Pentecost that I preach to you under the following theme. God, the Holy Spirit, is present with his church for Christ's sake. We'll see the promise of Pentecost, the fulfillment of Pentecost, and the church after Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, described in our scripture reading today, took place on the day of the Old Testament Feast of Weeks, which God had required several centuries before as a celebration of the completion of the harvest. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 to 22. The word Pentecost came about because the Feast of Weeks came 50 days after the offering of the first fruits. Penti means 50. Sometimes you can see the word penti in other languages. It means 50. The 50 feast, Pentecost. And it was this feast that brought Jews from all different regions together in Jerusalem on the day that Pentecost was fulfilled. And while they were there, the Jews would learn that close connection between Pentecost, the Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Old Testament actually was serving as a promise about all that God would continue to do in the New Covenant. As they witnessed the arrival of the day of Pentecost, Peter would teach how Jesus' death as the sacrificial Passover lamb and his resurrection as the first fruits led to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the celebration of the harvest that they were seeing and hearing. 
It's a very clear indication that they were a part of God's work of salvation. Well, the disciples, we read, were also in the city of Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast, not only because they were Jews and proselytes, but also because just before he ascended into heaven, the Lord Jesus told them to wait in the city for the promise of the Father. The Lord always announces the stages of his work. When John was baptizing the people from Jerusalem and all Judea and the region about the Jordan who had gone out to him and, and were confessing their sins, that's John the Baptist, he said in Matthew 3, verses 5 to 6, I baptize you, or it's Matthew 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, Jesus was confirming the word of that last Old Testament promise. And he said it was being fulfilled when he said in, in our text, in Acts 1 verse 5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then we see how it all connects. The feast in the Old Testament pointing to that outpouring. John the Baptist promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. Also speaking of a harvest with a winnowing fork with grain and with chaff. Our Lord Jesus as well promising that this was going to happen in a few days. And when the disciples heard Jesus' words they knew that this was nothing new Throughout his ministry, he had promised the, the coming of the Holy Spirit who would be like water welling up to eternal life, whom they would receive after he had been glorified. In John 14, verses 16 to 17, the Lord Jesus promised that he would ask the Father and he would give the Spirit of truth as another helper to be with his church forever. The Lord Jesus had explained that when the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father would come, he would, be, he would bear witness about Jesus Christ. And you can read that in John 15. And so the laws, the ceremonies, the prophecies, the teachings of Jesus Christ are all pointing to this day of Pentecost. And the promise of Pentecost was that after Jesus had been glorified, and enthroned in heaven, God the Holy Spirit would descend on his church to comfort her and to remain with her forever. Jesus promised the Pentecostal Emmanuel, God with us by his Holy Spirit. And as the disciples reflected on Jesus' words on the eve of his ascension into heaven, they could have known what to expect. Not just a baptism of repentance, but a baptism of the Holy Spirit. A baptism that would be like a winnowing fork, separating God's people from the world under judgment, 
like a farmer separating the wheat from the chaff. And if on that day they receive the Holy Spirit, they would know that Jesus Christ had truly ascended to his Father in heaven. They would know that they had been incorporated into the spiritual body and allowed to share in all the benefits of his victory over death and sin. It was a very exciting time for the church. And not many days later, just as Jesus said, the angels in heaven may, may have seen how God sent out the Spirit to the earth as the eyes of the victorious Lamb was able to take the scroll so that God's plan of salvation could continue. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 5. Then we see the fulfillment of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost arrived, and the original language even uses the word was fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, the men and women who were praying followers of Jesus, they were gathered together in a house in that city. A mighty sound filled the, the place, but no one could feel the, the gale force wind that they were hearing. A light that looked like fire appeared and tongues that looked like flames of fire came out from it, divided out from it, and rested on the heads of everyone who was there. The signs were an indication of the fulfillment of the mighty work that God had promised. And we read their explanation very simply in Acts 2 verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The visible signs on the day of Pentecost were well-known signs to those who knew the Old Testament. And they revealed that God was descending from heaven to be with his church. The word for wind and the word for spirit are the same in the original language. But the church could clearly see that this was the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who had come down upon them. When Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, and you can read about that in John chapter 3, he had revealed that the Spirit can be compared to the wind, which cannot be seen, although the results of its presence can be seen as it freely goes wherever it, it wishes. And the fire, the fire reminds us of the appearance of God to Moses that you read about in Exodus chapter 3 when there was a fire in the bush but the bush was not consumed. And that fire, the flames that looked, the light that looked like flames of fire rested on the heads of the faithful. Right away pointed to the holiness of the God who was with them in these last days of judgment. Together, the two signs taught the church about the power of God, which was promised by our Lord Jesus for everyone who would believe in him and receive the Spirit. And then we see Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. In this sermon, Peter was explaining the noise of the common Galileans 
who were prophesying about the mighty works of God in the tongues of many nations. And the prophesying itself was not what was new, but what caught their attention was that the fact was the fact that all the followers in this in this house were given this ability. And Peter explained that that was an exact fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And then he urged the Jews to see that they had sinned terribly when they had rejected and killed the man, Jesus Christ, because he was responsible for all that they were seeing and hearing. And in his sermon, Peter connected the dots, you could say. He connected the dots of of all that God had already revealed in the Old Testament laws concerning the different feasts. Peter explained how it was necessary for Christ to come and do all this work to obtain the victory over death and ascend into heaven so that he might pour out the Holy Spirit upon the church of God as he promised. As Jesus received the Spirit for his ministry on earth, so now he poured him out upon his body, the church. Pentecost is closely connected to Christ's atoning work, Christ's victory over death. For God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Well, God's descent to earth on Pentecost was publicized, was made very visible, very public with these special signs so that all the house of Israel might know for certain that God has made this Jesus, that they had crucified both Lord and God, Lord and Christ. We read in Acts 2, verse 36. And brothers and sisters, there we see the gospel again. Jesus is very much alive. And his ongoing love for the church could be seen in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, whom he sent to dwell in his body, the church. And once the Holy Spirit descended, he would remain in the church, just as the lights of those those that the, the look like flames of fire rested on the heads of each one of them in the house. And you can compare this event, this Pentecost event, this one-time event with long-term consequences to water services in a town. Pentecost was like the day the main water tap was, was turned on, was opened up. There is a ceremony for this event, and everyone celebrates this special day as the water begins to flow from its source into the pipes and homes that are depending on it. However, as the town grows and more and more pipes are added to the system, they are simply connected to the water that is already in the pipes. The addition of extra pipes had already been celebrated when people rejoiced on that tap opening ceremony day with the special ceremonies and signs. And they don't have a celebration again with signs every time another home is added to the system. 
Well, since we are born and added to Christ's church many years after that first day, that the opening day, the Pentecost day, we are born into a reality that no one in the Old Testament had experienced. We are born with the Holy Spirit already poured out upon his church. We are the Pentecostal church after Pentecost. And we may celebrate this today as we again see in our final point that we are the church after Pentecost. While the coming of the Holy Spirit led men and women to prophesy, you can read about that in Acts 2 verse 11, of the mighty works of God in Christ Jesus. The Spirit leads the church to speak of the mighty works of God in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit then used this declaration, and you can see that with Peter's sermon. He uses that proclamation to cut to the hearts of the hearers. For Peter, he cut to the hearts of the Jews who were listening. And so realizing that they were responsible for the death of the Son of God, they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They recognized their sins. They recognized the seriousness. And they came to the Lord with empty hands. And since the way to receive the Spirit is to be united to Christ and his church, Peter explains very clearly in Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And first of all, we see again the connection. As the Old Testament feast revealed, you can't have the Holy Spirit if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. But the gospel is whoever does believe in Jesus Christ also has the Father and the Spirit. The gospel message that Peter announced on that day of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit was not just poured out on the church leaders on the day of Pentecost many years ago, but he is given to everyone who believes. The grace of God shines through in, in this promise, and we do well to pay close and constant attention to it. No one born on earth. No one who comes into contact with the church of Jesus Christ. No one is coming too late. No one is too late to share in Jesus' redemptive work. Not even the very ones who were guilty of killing the Lord and Savior. And Peter then calls all the Jewish onlookers to repent, to flee this crooked generation. You see that harvest being fulfilled with the grain and the chaff. The winnowing fork of the Holy Spirit and the call to repentance for all people. And then following the covenant principles that God established in Genesis 17, verse 7, Peter explains who he means when he says that, that you will receive the Holy Spirit if you believe in Jesus Christ. He explains who the promise is for. And we see it again, that connection to Christ, the promise is for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and their children. The promise of life in Jesus Christ 
is extended to everybody who is already circumcised and considered to be a part of the covenant and all those who would join the covenant people through repentance and conversion. And so we can repeat the promise of Peter with eagerness and love to everyone we meet. Jesus has paid for your sins on the cross. He has defeated death and the punishment against sin. He is reigning in heaven and he dwells in the hearts of everyone who believes in him by his spirit. The call is clear. Come, come to him in repentance. Bow your knee before King Jesus Christ and seek that to share in the work that he has obtained. Whoever receives the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ that is promised to them in the sign of water baptism will also receive the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling in our hearts. And to understand that little verse, that little end of Acts 2, verse 38, we had to, we had to look at the whole picture, chapters 1 and, and chapter 2. What does that mean, to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, the promises of God in the Old Testament, and when you walked in today or as you were, were tuning in on live stream, you could see that Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 27, describes that Spirit in you. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the signs on the day of Pentecost, they help us to understand what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus called receiving the Holy Spirit a baptism, which indicated the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, God himself, upon the bodies and souls of those who received him. In Luke 24, verse 49, he describes the experience as being clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, verse 8, he spoke of having the Holy Spirit come upon you, which reminds us of the words of the angel to Mary when he explained that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. The power of the Most High would overshadow her. All this language indicates what? You put it together, baptism, being clothed, having the spirit poured out, even overshadowing. All this language indicates a new bond through which God dwell with and in his church in a very close and a very wrapping and permeating way. In fact, that's exactly how Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 6. Those who receive the Holy Spirit are being clothed with God so that he fills them, so that he also gives power to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit himself is not a power. He is a divine person. He is God who who gives power to all those on whom he is poured out. Receiving power from the Holy Spirit means being led by him so that his desires rule in your hearts. And you read about that in Galatians 5. 
Receiving power from the Holy Spirit is, is having the strength to repent, to see the fruit of repentance, the regenerating work that's evident in, in the way that you live, the way that you speak, the way that you do your work, the way that you live in your family. God himself dwells in the hearts of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. You, as a believer, are equipped to faithfully serve in the body of Jesus Christ, to follow him as your king in his eternal kingdom. And during these last days that we are living in today, God dwells with his church by his spirit for Christ's sake. We are in the age of Pentecostal Emmanuel, the last stage of God's work before Christ's return. And although we don't see the fire or hear the wind every time there is a conversion and a person leaves the darkness to come into the kingdom of light, the Spirit does not leave himself without testimony within us and among us as a congregation. Besides that inner transformation that is made visible as the Holy Spirit wages war against our sinful nature, there is the blessing of communion and love within the church of Jesus Christ. And you see that very close connection in Psalm 133 that we sang together. The corporate worship of Christ. As you see that immediate result at the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to, to 47. That's a fruit of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, believers devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, a, a reference to the, the sacrament, and to prayers as they praise God in liturgical service altogether. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit having been out, poured out upon us. And when we see that evidence of the Spirit, it's a guarantee that Jesus Christ is victorious and we are a part of his body. And this promise that starts with the house of God, with believers and their children, it's extended to everyone whom the Lord our God summons, calls to himself from every tribe, every nation, every tongue under heaven. And that is why the sign on Pentecost included speaking in other tongues. And why Jesus connected the sending of the Spirit in Acts 1 verse 8 to the sending out of the witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's Spirit within you who is transforming your heart, who is joining you up together with other believers, also sends you out so that others may hear the summons of the one who has received all authority in heaven and on earth. The king who calls all men to himself through you, the church, with the Holy Spirit. For God truly gives the same gift of the Holy Spirit that he first gave to the church in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Pentecost continues to be a celebration 
of the final harvest, the great ingathering of all God's chosen people in these last days before Jesus Christ returns. We continue to celebrate all those who have been gathered into Christ's church and who will be yet gathered in the future. And so we read Acts 2. That is something that just only happened in the past and is done. But we read Acts 2 as the beginning of the reality that we live in today. And let us go in the joy of Pentecostal Emmanuel. The Holy Spirit in your hearts is evidence that Jesus Christ is alive and victorious and that you share in his treasures and gifts. And that makes us feel very encouraged, very happy, doesn't it? To know who we are. God is with us by his spirit for Christ's sake as he promised. Let us live in love to one another, looking out to the world around us. Amen. We'll now sing together. Standing, if you're able to stand in response, we'll sing Psalm 65, stanza 3. Blessing. 